If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, uh, I highly recommend it. It is free. If you have a phone or a tablet that can do those things, uh, do apps, then I would really highly recommend that you get it. Uh, one of the great things about like this thing we're doing with reading a, a chapter a day in the Gospel of John is there are several translations in English translations. Uh, unless you want to go for Swahili, because I'm pretty sure that's out there too. Uh, but there are several translations that are actually audio, so you can just listen. Uh, and I know some of us are not big fans of reading. Um, depending on the time of day, I, well, I'll just tell you a story about myself. There, there's a thing I've seen uh, on the internet that says how to fall asleep in a chair, <laughs> be old, <laughs> sit in a chair. Uh, how, how to fall asleep when you're reading your Bible, be old, and sit in a chair. Uh, so it's not, it, the worst that can happen is you've got it on audio and you listen to the entire Gospel of John while you take a nap. And you might think, I didn't hear anything. Oh, but you did. <laughs> it all went straight into your mind, and pretty soon, you know, uh, never mind. That's called subliminal Bible reading. When you sleep while somebody else does it for you. As long as you're listening. <laughs> Speaking of listening, I want to thank you for, uh, uh, for being with us this morning, uh, or being with us online. I know there's about a million other things you could be doing but you've made it a priority to participate, and I appreciate that. So the name of our series, the title of our series right now is, I Like to Give. I Like to Give. So i got to, don't, don't raise your hands, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but when I say uh, giving can be fun, the generosity can be enjoyable, does that sound weird? You. Now, I'm not saying that we don't give. I'm not saying that we're penny-pinching misers that make Scrooge in the first part of the, the, the Christmas Carol stuff look like a generous person. No, I'm not talking about that. We, most of us give at one time or another, and we give, sometimes we give a lot. I, but, you know, we might put a few coins in Salvation Army's little red kettle at the holiday times, or, or we might make a donation to uh, Salvation Army's kitchen uh, or food pantry. We, we, might, uh, we might give uh, something to chip in for flowers or something uh, for a co-worker who's had a family member who's sick or has passed away. Um, we might even be the person to organize that to get it done. I, you know, we give, but let's be honest, very few people like to give. Uh, there's a thing in the back of our heads that's counting for many of us. And, and generosity feels strange. The whole idea of enjoying, give, I like to give, can feel really weird. Uh, sound weird anyway and it, because we live in a world that tells us to look out for number one because nobody else is going to watch out for you that's the thing that's in the back of our heads counting okay 
you know, you give that, and uh, it, it seems odd to look out for other people. It's, uh, we give, but we often give out of a feeling of obligation. We aren't generous like God is generous. Uh, we usually give without a smile. I, I've often, I, I just to be honest, I've been tempted from sometimes when, when yeah, to, to put a, a good, clean Christian comedian on the screen for the offertory. Just so that you'd have fun while you were giving your offerings. But since we just put stuff in an offering box now, or do it online, uh, then that, that wouldn't be much fun uh, anymore. But maybe someday. Maybe someday. I, I think there's about four ways or four motives that we have for, for giving. Uh, we give out of out a sense of duty. We, we, we've, we feel like we have to give. Uh, or that we ought to give. I, I was on the receiving end of a gift uh, in another state many years ago, so it's nobody you've ever heard of or seen or known, um, unless you're Connie. And she won't know who it was. But I was in this conversation, and they wanted, uh, we had a need, and I just mentioned it to them, and they said, well... They looked at each other and said, well, I guess we've we'll, got to do what we did the last time. Now, as a guy who was in desperate straits, I wanted to say, well, just forget it. But I couldn't because I needed to help. Um, sometimes we give out a, out of a sense of duty because we feel like we have to. Well, we did it the last time. We helped out before. We can't say no now. Um, and it's about as fun as filling out that 1040 or whatever you do on in April for the income taxes. It does anything but put a smile on anybody's face. Trust me, when they looked at each other and said, well, I guess we'll have to do what we did the last time, they weren't smiling. They gave, but they didn't have any fun doing it. Uh, we, we may give simply out of, to, to find some sense of self-satisfaction, self to feel good about ourselves. We think, yeah, we, we find ourselves giving, thinking far more about how we're going to feel about it and how good we're going to feel, even if nobody else notices, we're going to feel good. Uh, and we think about ourselves more than we're thinking about the other person. That's in essence selfishness. Mm. It's uh, it's giving to ourselves rather than giving to the person or whoever it is we're giving to the recipient may be whoever it may be. It, it's giving to us. Uh, we might give. Uh, with a sense of, hey, I hope people notice this. Now, some of you have automatically thought, oh, Jesus told us never to do that kind of stuff. Uh, look, I grew up in the church, literally. 
Um, Mom and dad were pastors, so I was in the church like three, four days after I was born. I, they hardly ever let me leave. Um, so I grew up in the church, and I can tell you something. Where a lot of people who tell, say, say oh, Jesus told us never to give so that other people will notice. And they'll say that while they go, see what I'm doing? Mm. <laughs> not that that's a bad not that, yeah, Well, it's not a good thing. If we're if we're given out of a sense of hey look at me, it's really a sense of pride. We switch out of selfishness to pride, uh, and the gift is given not to help the person that we're giving it to. It's given so that we can get some glory and honor for ourselves. In other words, what we tend to do left to ourselves, what we tend to do is to give when we believe it will in some way, shape, or form benefit us. And the suggestion of giving simply because we enjoy giving seems a little crazy because what am I going to get out of it? A smile on your face. What else? See, I believe the Holy Spirit invites you and me uh, to discover the life-changing power of God's generosity, which is in a completely different uh, spectrum, scale, than what anything we do. See, God's generosity, although it is huge, isn't based on how much he gives. It's based on how much he loves. Mm. So how do we get that kind of generosity? For following Jesus, I think we want to have that kind of generosity. I believe the Holy Spirit made the same invitation to uh, discover the life-changing power of God's generosity. He made the same uh, invitation to the Jesus followers in the Greek city of Corinth about 2,000 years ago. Now, the, Paul started this church. He was the first century missionary, church planter, um, apostle that uh, launched this uh, church in the Greek city of Corinth. Um, and he wrote this letter back to them, what we call 2 Corinthians. It was a letter that was written back to the church. I like to think of the chapters as like pages in a really long letter. So we're looking at pages eight and nine, or we have been for the last couple of weeks or so. And today we're going to be looking at the ninth chapter, uh, ninth chapter or the ninth page about his directions to the church in Corinth um, for a, an offering, uh, a gift for a collection of contributions that they were putting together. Uh, for their fellow disciples in the city of Jerusalem. Now, these two cities were really different. Corinth was a, a trade center and fairly wealthy. Jerusalem uh, was in the middle of a desert, and, and they had a lot of famines and poverty. 
Corinth was mainly Greek, and Jerusalem was primarily Jewish. And the interesting things about the Greeks and the Jews is they thought that they were Greek. Everybody else wishes they were Greek. Does that sound familiar to anybody with the big fat Greek wedding? Yeah. It was true. Even though they were under, part of uh, some, uh, in submission and occupied by the Roman Empire, they thought even the Romans wished they were Greek. Oh, and here's the fun part. The Jewish people in Jerusalem would go around thanking God that they were neither a Gentile, which was everybody else, or a dog. Those were the two categories besides Jew at that point. In their, in their, that's what, it was their thinking. They were, talk about ethnocentric, but that's a big fancy word for self-centered. Everybody wishes they were like me, or I'm glad I'm not like anybody else. Right? So I want to invite you to follow along as I read uh, Paul's from Paul's instructions uh, in... Uh, Ah, good. There we are. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15. He starts off by saying, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It says what it says, and it means what it says. Okay, if you put out uh, a, a garden plot with six rows of corn you are not going to have assuming all things are equal you are not going to have as much corn at harvest time as a guy who puts out a whole acre worth or a hundred acres worth does that make sense yeah right the, the, the more acorns you plant, the more oak trees you're going to have. It just takes longer than corn. <laughs> All right, so whoever sows sparingly, whoever plants a few things, is going to get back a few things. It will be more than what they planted, but it won't be as much as the person who plants a lot of stuff. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly. Okay, so here he's going, this is how you don't do it. Not reluctantly, out of a sense of duty or obligation, or under compulsion, because you have to. Right? What do you do? You decide in your heart what you're going to get, and you give it, because God loves a cheerful giver. Really? Oh, let's keep moving more. Okay. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So I want you to count these words with me. All things, all times, all that you need, every. One sentence. Did he leave anything out? It's not all but. It's not almost. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
Now, this is what happens to us because we think of this in the terms of what am I going to get out of this if we give? And we look at this verse, and I know it's true because I've seen it happen. Uh, and, well, frankly, I've done it to myself. Uh, just be honest, confess for me too. Uh, if I give, I'm going to get. If I give, I'm going to get a nice car. That's all things. I'm going to have a great house. That's all things. I'm going to have a big bank account. Right? That's what we think. But I think we're missing the point. I, I, in fact, I know we're missing the point. Because see, what Paul is saying is, when he says to us that God will give us all that we need, he means a sense of independence. He's describing the person or the group of people, more accurately. He's describing the people who have directed their lives and focused their lives uh, not on collecting a lot of stuff, but on eliminating needs. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but some of you have probably heard of a guy called Dave Ramsey. There are other, there are other financial advisors out there. Dave Ramsey does a thing he calls Financial Peace University, and one of the first things he tells everybody to do is, first of all, you get yourself a $1,000 emergency fund. Why? So that when the fridge goes out, you don't have to put it on a charge card to fix it or to replace it. Have, it, have an emergency fund. Have it where you can get at it in an emergency. But have it away from where you can get it to go down and buy a Starbucks. <laughs> By the way, if you're buying a thousand dollar Starbucks, <laughs> unless it's a gift card for the pastor. Oh, <laughs> oh he didn't say that, did he? I, yes, he did. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, so this this is a and then what do you do after that? What's the second thing that Dave Ramsey tells us to do? And by the way, all financial advisors are going to tell you the exact same thing: pay off your debts. Why? Okay, here's a few years ago. This was true for nearly everybody in the United States. They had bills totaling about 104 to 105 percent of their weekly income. Mm. You know that phrase, give 110 percent? <laughs> Some of us were taking it way too seriously. And the only way to get out of that mess is to stop spending more than we have and pay off what we owe. That's what I'm talking about. And there's a freedom that comes from not owing six different credit cards money. All of a sudden, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, because I got a $1,000 emergency fund, or better, after one of my debts are paid off, 
I can abound in every good work because I don't have this thing in the back of my head saying, if you give that to so-and-so, you will not be able to pay your visa bill this week or your mortgage or your car payment or your... Paul's talking about independence, not accumulation. He would not have made a very good American because the American dream, you know, is to have a nice house, to have a nice vehicle or two, some toys to go with them. So, you know, all, all, we want to get stuff. And Paul's saying, well, stuff is fine as long as you're independent enough to let go of it if you need to. You know, there's nothing worse. I, I can tell you this from experience. There is nothing worse the owing money on a car and have the transmission go out and you have to go invest more than what you owe to replace the transmission because you can't afford to write off the loan. And who wants to make car payments on something you're sitting in the driveway as a paperweight? And you know, we just no. So when Paul says this, and he talks about how God is able to get bless us abundantly, he's talking about he can give us freedom. Freedom, independence. Oh, you know, by the way, that that's not even this. That's just the application part. Let's let's keep reading Paul's instructions here. He continues in chapter 9, verse 9. He says, As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Okay, so now, in just a couple of paragraphs, he's really included all kinds of stuff, right? Everything. Again, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. But again, he's not talking about you're going to get rich. <laughs> he's talking about God's going to bless you so that you're independent. Because there's a whole different point to what he's trying to make than what we usually think. Mm -hmm. And he says, this service that you perform, this gift, whatever you give to the contribution for the folks in, in Jerusalem, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What's in it for me? Well, people are going to go thank God for what you did. Not me. I mean, it's nice if they would thank God, but what about me? If we're still asking, what about me? That shows we need to work on this generosity thing. Because of the service, because of the contributions to this collection, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. 
for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Okay, so here we are. We're still stuck in this transition, transition mindset that says, I give to get something. And so far, Paul is telling us that when we give, God gives us the ability to be free from obligations. And when we give, other people start thanking God and praising Him. for what we did. Am, am I being accurate? Have I lost anybody here? No. Isn't that what he's saying? Okay. So, and then he goes on and says, and their prayers for you. Oh, finally, something for me. They're going to pray for us. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. I want you to hang on to that phrase. Grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Now, some of us, I, I have seen all kinds of... Uh, uh, and heard all kinds of understandings of what what is God's indescribable gift. Uh, the one that makes the most sense to me is not the fact that He gives us everything we want so that we maybe possibly will start being even more generous. That's not the indescribable gift. The indescribable gift is that He gives us Himself. He gave us Jesus. Now, I, I, I want, I'm not trying to lay guilt trips on any of us, so I'm, let me explain this clearly. Uh, please get this. None of the ways that we tend to give uh, as, out of a sense of duty or obligation uh, or look good to other people or to somehow be able to uh, somehow get rich uh, because I give, I'll get rich. Uh, yeah, some, there's some truth to that. But it's not the truly generous way. It's not the... God's generosity flows out of not obligate, not doesn't come out of duty or obligation. He doesn't do it to feel good or to look good. God gives because He loves. <laughs> generosity He wants us to have is, is a love that is compelled by love. It, it, he, he wants us to have a generosity that gives because we see somebody in need and we give because the sight of somebody in need wakes up our love and our compassion and a desire that won't be still. Now, I also am going to pause here for a minute because I am fairly certain that nine out of ten people listening to what I'm talking about have thought I was talking about money the whole time. I'm going to take you back to the very first sermon in this series 
where we were reminded that we're supposed to give God our time, talents, and treasures. Our finances are only a slice of the pie that we're asked to give. And we're asked to give in every way because of love. Somebody needs a listening ear. If you take the time to listen to them for five minutes, first of all, you're going to absolutely transform their lives. That's not an overstatement. If you give somebody five minutes of undivided attention, they will actually think that you love them. Because, well, let's be honest, why else would you take five minutes out of your day to listen to somebody? Oh, wait a minute, because you feel like you have to. Mm -hmm. You know, the last time they, they came up to me, I had to listen to them, so I guess I have to listen to them again. No, you don't have to. You get to. In order to share Jesus' love with them. Right? That's the way God live, gives. To give in God's way is to give because we love people. So here's a sermon in a sentence. <clears throat> you can give without generosity. You can give out of obligation, duty, trying to look good, whatever. You can give without generosity, but you cannot have generosity and not give. You're going to find yourself looking at people in need and going, I have to do something. Now, we don't go crazy with this, and I, we're going to talk about that in another time, but uh, why do you think we settle for giving for all the wrong reasons? I mean, why... why why don't we exercise God's generosity in love? In, let love motivate what we do. As I've been thinking about this, one of the questions that came to my mind is, could it be that the biggest obstacle to us having real generosity, loving generosity, grows out of the feeling that we're fairly sure we're already generous? You know, I give this and this and this. Give to them and them, and we give to God and this and this and this. You know, it's the end of the year. We're all starting to figure out our taxes, and some of us have uh, started chalking up the, the charitable contributions for, for our income tax form, and we're feeling pretty good about it. Well, that's pretty nice. That's a pretty good total. But that's not God's generosity. Not that there's wrong, anything wrong with claiming charitable inter, in, uh, deductions on your income taxes if you do that. It's okay. But if that's why you gave, then... Or if your total makes you go, hmm, I'm doing all right. Might be a problem. Could it be that we don't know that we honestly don't realize that we're not giving like Jesus? 
is it possible that we're just plain blind to our need to grow in this area? That we, you know, we've been given, some of us have given for lifetime to all kinds of things. But do we do it with a smile? Do we do it because we enjoy it? Do we do it because we love? So how do we develop this kind of godly generosity, this love-driven generosity, uh, if we don't see that we have a need for it? I'm glad you asked. How, how do we get there? I would suggest that you simply do this. Go to the cross. Focus on Jesus sacrificing love. You see, what Jesus did for us in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and his current intercession for us, what he does, every bit of that is motivated and driven by his love for us. In chapter 8 earlier uh, in this section, Paul talked about how even though Jesus was rich, which, you know, like he's God, so he literally does have everything. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. I think what Paul wants us to understand is that God alone can give us can put into our hearts the love that's the essence of a really generous spirit. He's the only one that can fill us with so much love that it makes us smile because we're going, I get to love somebody in Jesus' name. I get to love this cause in Jesus' name. So how does this happen? Well, I'm glad uh, we get a chance to talk about this because here's the here's the this is one of the things I've observed. It is so easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that if I work really hard at giving, that one day I'm going to enjoy it. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard a pastor say is, "Hey, you should give until it hurts." But God loves a cheerful giver, not a painful giver. <laughs> That's why I'm saying that you should give until it makes you smile. Uh, but it's not a matter of us striving. Uh, it, it's not as the, the, this is somehow I can somehow generate this love on my own. It is not as if I can uh, achieve this or even earn it or buy it. I am not in control. God is. Now this is the place where a lot of us come to a screeching halt because we've run into our brokenness. We don't like to be receivers. 
of free things. We, we've come to the place, a lot of us have come to the place where we just really don't even believe that anything can actually be absolutely free. There's no free lunch. Ever, ever heard that? Come on. Yeah, we've all heard that. There's no such thing as a free lunch. <coughs> Unless Jesus is paying. Our, our receivers are, tend to be broken. We struggle to believe this. We experience, uh, and our experience has taught us that, that people always give with strings. And then comes along this guy with Jesus, and he offers us unimaginable blessings. And doesn't really have strings attached. God's grace and all of his blessings are 100% gift. You can't earn them. You can't buy them. You don't deserve them. Neither do I, by the way. Just want to make that clear. We don't deserve them. We can't earn them. We can't buy them. Even our efforts to be more committed or to give more, to become more generous, if we're working at it, to get uh, that can actually get in the way of God's truly being able to work in us. So somebody's thinking, oh, so all we got to do is sit back and just wait around until God does something. Well, no. That's like saying you're going to listen to the, your favorite radio station and not turn it on the radio and tuning it in. You've got to get into the right place. Now, you can get all tuned into your favorite radio station, and if they're not broadcasting, you're going to get nothing. Except maybe, <laughs> unless you crank it up really loud, then you get, <laughs> right? Uh, why? Okay, how can we put ourselves in a position where we're going to start, you know, give God the opportunity to really give us that love? We get ready to receive the generosity that flows from God's love by giving. Okay, you can give without generosity, but you cannot have generosity without giving. So where do we start? We start by giving our life to Jesus and the people he loves. All of them. Not just most of them. Not just the ones that are like us. No. Or like, you know, you know, the Greeks had to love the Jews. The Jews had to love the Greeks. And they all had to love everybody because Jesus loves everybody. Yes, even that person that you just thought of. Or that group of people. Republicans have to love Democrats, Libertarians, and everybody else. And everybody else has to love Republicans and Democrats and all that. There's no, there are no fences. Jesus doesn't love everybody but. Jesus loves everybody. And I have to give myself to him and invite him to love everybody through me. No exceptions. Give your life to Jesus. Give what you've decided to give and examine your motives for giving. 
don't give because they showed these really sad looking puppies on TV. Or he's really... There are commercials that are designed to make you feel bad so that you will give so you feel better. Some of them are for dogs and cats. Should we do something about dogs and cats and other animals that are being abused? Well, of course we should, but we should never do it because we feel bad. We're not supposed to give out a compulsion, obligation, or guilt. We're supposed to give because we care. We show pictures of sick children. Should we give to support some of that stuff? Well, I think so. But not because we feel bad, but because we want them to experience the love of Jesus. Amen. So we have to examine our motives. Even when we're giving now, we need to stop and ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Am I doing it because I feel like I have to? Am I doing it because I think I'm going to get something out of it? Or am I doing it because, oh wow, Jesus is loving through me. And that's fun. And we give to give. This is Paul's whole point in here. It's not give to get. You know, we read those verses earlier about, you know, all times and all things, you're going to have everything that you need so that you, oh wow. Look at all the stuff I'm going to get. No, that's not what he says. Because he ends up by saying, so that in all kinds of situations, you will be able to be generous. The more you give, the more you will learn to give. And the more you give, because you've learned to give, the more you're going to learn to actually enjoy it. You're putting yourself in that place. And keep giving and giving. Why examine your motives? Why am I doing this? As you do that, as you give, just keep giving until it makes you smile because you know you get, instead of that thing in the back of your head going, how are you going to pay for that bill? You hear a gentle whisper in your ear. Way to go. By the way, that's the Haynes paraphrase for something that Jesus said. I mean, Jesus said it this way, well done, good and faithful servant. But for me, it's like, way to go. When Jesus whispers that kind of stuff in your ear, if you don't smile, well, to quote an old gospel quartet, your wood is really wet. <laughs> if you need somebody to explain that to you, I'll try. As we learn to give, as we practice giving, we put ourselves in a position where we, God can say, okay, let's give you a little bit more love and a little bit more and a little bit more until all of a sudden we find ourselves going, I'm doing this because I want to. To love somebody in Jesus' name. Not for any other reason. That's it. And that'll put a smile on our face. Trust me, I believe it will. Let's pray. <coughs> Holy Spirit, you are the source of 
all of God's blessings in our lives. And we pause now in your presence to tell you that we're waiting and longing for you to fill us with Jesus' love. Still us. Fill us. Unleash your love in us. Teach us to give way Jesus gives. We wait, not passively, but actively. We wait with hope and faith and trust in your wise love. Your blessings have always and will always arrive at just the right time for us. Fill us. Motivate us with Jesus' love. Amen. Hey, uh, again, I want to thank everybody for connecting with us today, uh, either on site or online. Um, by the way, if you're online and uh, you haven't joined the uh, Champions of Hope Facebook group, Facebook group, I knew that wasn't coming out quite right. Uh, there, the link is in the description for this event, and uh, you're going to receive some unique content and the opportunity to connect with other people who are seeking to infuse other folks with the hope of Jesus. Well, whether you're here or there today or some other time, Jesus sends us the same way the Heavenly Father sent Him. He sends us to seek and to save His missing children. We are sent. So let's go in the love and power of the Holy Spirit. Through the love and power of the Holy Spirit, we will transform grudges into grace. We'll transform apathy into affection. We will transform despair into determination. You are sent. Go with Jesus. <laughs>